0: Welcome to The Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hobcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hello and welcome again to the Hobcast Book Show from Hobeck Books. My name is Adrian Hobart.
1: It is, and my name is Rebecca Collins.
0: And that's true too. <laughs> and we are UK-based independent publishers of the following genres.
1: I love this bit. Suspense. Crime thrillers
0: mysteries it was my turn to do the funny voice
1: well i wasn't going for funny voice i was going mix the order up
0: oh like it okay <laughs> well welcome to the show and this week our guest is returning second part of our interview with jenny Parrott, who we spoke to a few weeks ago jenny being well one of the uh, Doyen's of the business, really, especially in terms of crime writing. She's also an author, she's run imprints, she teaches writing, and she's a fantastic editor. And what she doesn't know about crime writing and publishing isn't worth knowing. Absolutely. And so, yeah, she's brilliant. And she had a great reaction when we spoke to her first. It was a, quite a long interview, so we cut it in two, and we're running it this week. So, this week, what's it been like? Well, we had a minor crisis.
1: Not a China crisis.
0: No, <laughs> no, a minor crisis. Uh, we had a, a thunderstorm. Well, oh, that doesn't sound particularly. No,
1: impressive. I know you say it like that. The people listening are probably going, "Oh, <laughs>
0: really?" Yeah, it was Friday night, and our you know youngest lad here, Toby, couldn't go to his cricket, which was disappointing for him because it was his first opportunity to to take up the sport. Uh, it was absolutely hooling it down with rain, <laughs> but we had a lightning strike. It must have been extremely. Close to our barn, Hobeck Towers, in other words, because the building shook quite violently, and it blew up the internet. Our uh, our router was 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 a goner straight afterwards.
1: So I'm not very good in this sort of crisis. Uh, the first uh, maybe maybe two bolts of lightning were fairly close and big rumbles thunder. So the first thing I did was grab a can of beer out the fridge and hide in the boiler room, because I don't like thunder.
0: Yep. Uh, and I slept through the rest of it. <laughs> and then suddenly, yeah, the, the, the world shook. And uh, your eldest lad, Luke, reported that the uh, there'd been a flash of light uh, in, the, uh, in the router. And that was it.
1: So, yeah, he was on the Xbox at the time. And I was in the boiler room. And I heard him sort of exclaim, you know, with something. And I thought, oh, no, he's been struck by lightning. So I faced my fears and ran out the boiler room. And he was still playing on the Xbox. And and my first thought was, oh, it's like when people get struck by lightning and they carry on doing what they're doing. Hmm. But no, he was fine. He was just shocked, as in, you know, alarmed. Well, you were
0: phlegmatic and calm and relaxed and we had a power still and normally that gets knocked out. But uh, so everything was was fine in that regard, except the internet was out. And I I just hadn't realised how much I rely on it. I was desperate. We couldn't get any phone signal. The little emergency hub that you get from providers like BT doesn't work here because there's not enough mobile signal to uh, pick up any data. And so for 24 hours, we, we didn't have any internet. I jumped in the car. I recently got a 4x4 so I can get through floods. And lo and behold, the village was flooded. Um, flash floods. Uh, got through that, managed to find a signal somewhere on my phone and order a new hub. Um, and okay, we're reconnected. But the whole business relies on the internet. Everything relies on it. Us being able to check adverts, us being able to download content, us being able to put up adverts, us being able to make this podcast uh, respond to author inquiries, uh, social media uh, connections. All those things went by the wayside.
1: Yeah, it was very strange because, um, I mean, in one respect I was okay because I was in the middle of proofreading uh, Fatal Trade by Brian Price and so, actually, in that respect, it helped me focus because there were no distractions. There was no email to be to distract me, nor Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. I could solidly focus on that one thing. However, I did. I said to you, I said, "But we don't know how our ads are performing, and we can't check. So there's nothing we can do." So it was it was frustrating in that sort of keeping the business running respect.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it's all fixed now.
1: Yes, everyone's happy now, and the Grand Prix is on later, so they're all very yeah, happy. Well, that's
0: the main thing, so we can stream the Grand Prix. <laughs> um, but I couldn't watch any sport, and it was terrible.
1: Oh, it was, it was awful.
0: Yeah, we played Trivial Pursuit as a family, which was lovely.
1: And guess who won?
0: The youngest. The youngest. 11-year-old Toby. Of course he did.
1: <laughs> guess who lost? You did. I did. <laughs> I've got three degrees, and I lost.
0: Yeah. <laughs> let's get into the news then Uh, this week we had a book launch as we know Um, AB Morgan's Throttles out in the world, selling well and getting a great response in terms of reviews so uh, very very uh, encouraging and uh, we also had a box set version with uh, Overhead Dead Body and Old Dogs Old Tricks has come out as well and this week as my phone goes, uh, this week we are releasing uh, the audiobook version of over her dead body as well. So uh, look out for that. Uh, certain retailers will We'll give you more details next week. The, the, the nature of launching an audiobook is that uh, not every retailer gets their act together at the same time. So it'll drip out into the world, and Audible just takes forever to get up on Audible. Mm. So It's one of those things, which actually brings me into the news, because uh, there is a, a growing movement amongst the traditional publishing industry agency side of things, the agents are complaining that uh, with boom times in um, in audiobooks and indeed ebooks with uh, sales going up by 30% in audiobooks and 25% by in ebooks in the UK market uh, they feel that authors are getting a rough end of the deal and aren't getting you know they get 25% uh, royalty net royalty returns on those sales uh, and they feel that uh, basically they're being exploited now i mean i would argue also that there is a, a, another issue is that it doesn't matter if you're traditionally published or independently published uh, or indeed doing it yourself the fact is the royalty rates are, are, are not great for audiobooks and that the people really making the money are Amazon on Audible at least uh, it's much more equitable if you're going through find voices but it's um it's it's it is a bit of a it's an open sore at the moment i think in the publishing industry
1: i think you're right because i think audiobooks have always been considered as a doubted bonus. They haven't been given the respect that they deserve, especially now when I, I know personally, I fifty-fifty read and read books, physical books, and listen to um, books in in on Audible, or you know that's the one I use. But so it, 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 I know that the book industry is is always slow to react to to change, uh, but the traditional book pub- publishers, in some respects, when it's to their benefit and Amazon as well to some degree they dig their heels in
0: uh, they do and it also in this article is in the bookseller uh revealed that uh, agents are also waking up to the fact that uh publishers like ourselves are offering much higher to higher royalty rates overall um than traditional publishers and they're arguing that the the situation should change um so that's uh, that's a battleground that um is being drawn up in the traditional market but you know we already offer uh, more than competitive rates for authors and that's partly because we don't um we don't offer advances at this stage of the company's development and I, I really don't anticipate doing so in the future either but we do offer very very high royalty rates so whatever success comes in and uh uh you know that's reflected in in what uh, authors get paid it's mm. just a question of us all combining to make the books as successful as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, it gives the authors an incentive to do what they can to market their book as well, you know, and, and what capacity they have, because the more they market the book, the more it sells, the more money they get.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We all benefit from that. What have you spotted?
1: Well, it's actually related to what we've just been saying, in a way, because um, it's about the authors are, are starting to rebel a little bit about against the... Traditional deals that they're having with publishers, so they're actually um, taking back their rights of books that they've had published with traditional publishers and, and going and doing it themselves. And there's a, a sort of a phrase for this. It's called the hybrid author. So a hybrid author it sounds quite interesting, doesn't it? Is one that may have some books published by a traditional publisher, some books published themselves. Um, they might retain rights for uh, TV rights uh, or um, you know radio rights, but have the the book itself published by a publisher so it, it, the, the the model is much more varied than it used to be you know you used to be a very uh, uh you know a, a choice between you either do that publish with a publisher or you do it yourself it's not the case anymore you can you have more agency basically as an author in deciding how your intellectual property is put out there
0: yeah uh that's been a growing phenomenon for for a couple of years now i think um as author incomes from traditional publishing have gone down, people have decided. Well, they've watched, you know, some of the stars of independent publishing like L.J. Ross making huge amounts of money, uh, marketing their own books, and and decided to take uh, take more control. Uh, and I think that what we try to achieve in Hoback is that you know we're we're very collaborative. So in a sense, yes, we still hold in terms of con- contractually the final say on a lot of things. But in the process, we are very, very collaborative. So, you know, authors don't, uh, we hope, um, they'll probably <laughs> t- tell us on the podcast uh, whether that's the case or not. Basically, we, we want to make sure that they are uh, happy with what's being done. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a fully collaborative process, whereas I know that a lot of people in the independent sector, was so traditional, here's your cover, here's your blurb, you know, there's no say in it.
1: Absolutely not. I mean, we, we've we had a, a discussion with one of our authors this week where we drafted the blurb, he made suggestions, we made counter-suggestions, and he then made a couple of more counter-suggestions, and then we were all happy with it, what we'd produced. So, and it's actually better, better for his input than what we could have done ourselves. And, you know, if he'd, he, if he'd written it himself, hopefully the same, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's when you're writing a... Say, let's take the example of a blurb. Um, and, you know, you and I work together on those. Um, sometimes you'll do the first draft and then I'll I'll, I'll go in and rough it up a bit. Um, <laughs> Should uh, be polish it up a bit. Well, we... well I, I suppose what I do is um, colloquialize it a little bit more. So it's mm. more conversational.
1: Yeah, and that's because I'm um, my background is non-fiction. So I've, I'm getting better at mm. being a bit more. Um...
0: But I, I will take out the whereafters, the <laughs> therefores, and however. Hitherto. Hitherto. <laughs> yeah um and and uh, and and make it less academic anyway then it goes over to the author the author will say well actually factually that's not quite right that's not really the spirit i'm trying to create have you thought about this and look it's it 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 makes a a better blurb but it's one of the things we pride ourselves on is being able to um, work on blurbs quickly efficiently and effectively uh and i think that's one of our our key skills actually with in this partnership so But the collaborative process is very, very important. Everyone needs to be happy with with what's written, and you know we're learning as we go uh, what's effective and Mm. uh, and and what punches through. Um, In terms of other news, uh, we have we're members of the Independent Publishers Guild, the IPG, which is an umbrella organisation, membership organisation for independent publishers. Some of them are very, very large, and others a little bit smaller, like ourselves. Um, they have been very supportive. We've got a lot of uh, benefit from being members. And uh, I'd like to personally thank um, Bridget Shine, who is the CEO of the IPG, for taking a very close interest in, in Hobek and inviting us to speak at a conference and things like that. She, she's in regular touch. And uh, Nikki Grogan, her her uh, assistant, who uh, does a lot of the, uh, the, the communications with us. Um, excellent. Always spotting opportunities for us to learn something or to be, you know, connected with other parts of the industry, which is excellent. But there's a new chair. So we've got a CEO, Bridget Shine, and the new chair is uh, Amanda Ridout. And uh, Amanda uh, created uh, the extremely successful already um, publisher, Boldwood Books, but she's got a lot of traditional uh, industry experience. I mean, really very experienced. Uh, And they've already... In 2020, they, in December, they reached £2 million in turnover. And how many authors was it? 43, oh, you said?
1: something like that. Yeah, 44, I think. Yeah, and yeah,
0: they've added some more since. And they, they have a wide spectrum of, of genres that they cover, certainly broader than ours. Um, but she is the new chair. Uh, so all that vast industry experience is coming to bear. And her focus is going to be on... on how two... does she
1: have the time? That's what well, I know, know,
0: I know. Well, you know, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. That's <laughs> uh, what they say. Um so she is going to focus on sustainability in publishing and the environment environmental impact of publishing um which is you know something of interest to us but it's it's difficult to control because in a sense um you know the the distribution models are where a lot of the uh, environmental impact comes in i think mm. um but anyway we, we'll always keep an eye on that and also uh, as with the wider industry uh, a big focus on on diversity uh, in terms of the people working within it um but we you know we 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 value our membership of the IPG it means a lot to us uh and it's um you know as we as we develop and grow we we've actually the awards for the IPG uh are announced on Monday in terms of uh, entries are open so we're we're moderately optimistic that we might be in, in the running for independent publisher of the year i don't know
1: best looking cat associated with a publisher of the year
0: well, that well, yeah, it'd be hard to imagine Aki not winning that. Um, but that's uh, that's to come. So we'll we'll be putting ourselves in the front And Now that we've um, shown that, you know, with Mark Whiteman and, and did Lewis Hastings has also been nominated for an award over in uh, New Zealand in the Oceania area. Um, it's really important to, uh, to, to, to you know, it, in terms of brand profile, mm. putting yourself in for competitions is, is valuable. I know I've been cynical in the past because the National Book Awards, the Nibbies, were very, very specific and aimed at sales uh, rather than the um, you know encouraging the spirit in which business is conducted. It was on basically overall volume, uh, and that's a rather self-limiting um, criteria. I think.
1: Yeah, because it's only one aspect of running a business. It is a very important aspect, but it is still only one aspect of it.
0: Absolutely. Okay, let's get on to our interview, shall we? I think we should. So, Jenny Parrott, we spoke to her a few weeks ago, as you know, and uh, look out that episode if you haven't heard it already. Uh, But we moved in the second part into wider industry issues and the way that publishing is changing, in parallel in some ways with the music industry. uh, The nature of uh, the the business is that the barriers for entry, nicking the uh, phrase from another podcast, uh, are coming down. (laughs) And, um, you know, it is easier to get your work out into the world without anybody saying yes or no. Uh, but that has its own issues as well. So Jenny, with her exper- expertise as an editor, as a uh, imprint runner, as a teacher uh, and a writer, has uh, some strong views on the way that the democratisation using technology has good and bad impacts.
2: Publishing and the music industry are similar as well in that... Technology has made everyone think they can be a writer or a musician mm. or a publisher. No, you know, you can <laughs> happily self-publish. Uh, you know, things like SoundCloud, you know, Amazon's what's it create space, all of these things mean that, and then people are doing things and they're giving it away, you know. So the fact that uh you might have talented people who think, I'm going to give things away and grow my market. Well, all you're doing really is growing a market that wants free things. You're not necessarily growing a market that is valuing what you're doing. And, um, you know, and I think that's where people can come unstuck is trying to move into earning what you kind of should do for what you're producing um and it's it you know it, it's tough, you know. Bookstores, they a lot of them struggle to keep going. I read um oh probably 10 years ago, um, with the music industry, their Oasis, their first ever tour was sort of pubs and small venues, and they did 42 dates. And within 20 years, there are only 12 of those venues still open. Yeah. And mm-hmm you know, and it's that thing, how do you get experience, you know, back in when I worked with Liz Calder at Bloomsbury, and, you know, she would buy an author and just keep on publishing them until they, something happened, which... You know, might be, and I, one of her authors was um, Liz Jensen. I think, it, I think it was Liz. It might have been Alexandra Pringle, who was the editor in chief, who was also very, very supportive of, of new writers. But um, Liz Jensen's um, "The Ninth Life of Louis Drax" that was probably her fifth or sixth book. You know, it then became a Hollywood film. It it did really well, but you know young writers or new writers trying to um hold a publisher's or the booksellers attention for that long to, to have that bit of luck you know that that's gonna happen to so few people these days so um you know so I think it is tough on the other hand I do think good writing and um, stands out. And actually this book was so excited me last week, in theory, absolutely everything about it was wrong. It was chaotic, it it <laughs> it just bonkers, it um it just almost had too much personality. And yet I, I, you you know I really, really felt there's someone here who's so unique, there's no dewriting like this at the moment um but you know so so it's kind of like one of the these things the market is kind of designed not to help young or new writers and yet yeah, everybody wants really talented new writers to bubble through so you know it's it's not perfect science
1: no, and I think that's the interesting thing, is that there's no there's no sort of manual you can read how to publish a book and be
0: successful. Well, you can read it, but it's not necessarily going uh, <laughs> to... Yes, it's not necessarily going to yeah. um,
2: I mean, you know, because I think the thing that would-be-writers don't quite understand is that agents and editors are reading a year to two years ahead of the market... So what they'll do is they'll go into a bookstore and think, oh, that's selling well. I'll write one of those. Well, that can mean your that wave has passed. I remember when the White Tiger um, won the Man Booker that uh, somebody, uh, a writer I was working with, said, oh, you know, the great indian novels going going to have a renaissance i said but the renaissance kind of has happened because i know there are four indian novels that have sold in the last three months for six figures for each of them so on the the white tiger that already was hitting paperback stage that and the those four big money indian books they weren't all going to be successful so and that what that then means is that no, you know for a few years no one's going to want to you know uh, the booksellers aren't going to want to support a new Indian writer because they'll probably have had two that have worked three that haven't and you know and that's really tough if you are inadvertently the writer that's coming on the wave or you but the, what you don't realise is the wave's kind of passed
0: and. In a, in a sense, we're seeing a wave of that at the moment because you pick up the bookseller and half a dozen of the stories of the week will be uh, major publishers picking up uh, books by people of colour at the moment.
2: Yes, I mean, that is a big thing. And I'm all for that. And, you know, One World, I mean, we've won the Man Booker twice sort of in the last five years and the Women's Prize once, all with black writers um but what i also can see is that there's been a mass rush from agents to sign people of color and um, some of the books have are not good enough and they will skew the market because some p- publishers have paid very handsomely for them and you know and basically those poor writers aren't really been given the time to develop their writing skills to be the writers that they probably can be. They're going to need an extra amount of luck. So they've got the first deal. Their, their dilemma will possibly come for some of them over the second and third books, because if the first book hasn't worked... I mean, maybe they're on two book deal. It's then the third book that's the the tricky one. Whether they can, you know, retain their publisher for that. Um, so it's it, it it's a really difficult one, actually. That um, because I mean, the worst thing to be as a writer at the moment would be a middle aged British middle class white man i sat next to him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hello. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, but it's this that, you know, because the the number of agents uh, and younger editors who are going to be interested in that, that writer is much smaller than it would have been in years gone past. Now, some people would say, well, that's not a bad thing, but... With so many editors under 30 being the main people acquiring at the big houses, because, of course, the longer you work as an acquiring editor, the more returning writers you get. So the less often you buy a new writer. Yes. Um, so the bulk of the new writers are being bought by the kind of quite woke generation. And the books, they think will interest people aren't necessarily where the book buying public lies so you know I and mean, you often see it with young men's coming of age stories um, and there's some great ones in the market but who are the readers they're certainly not young men and um, no. because they're too busy either at the pub or playing Fortnite, and um <laughs> You know, but the the sort of writer like David Nichols with something like Us that's mm. basically about a man with a midlife crisis, that's got a much broader demographic. But his editor is of an older generation. Would a 24-year-old uh, commissioning editor have bought that? Possibly not.
0: So let's... I mean, we've, we've taken a lot of your time here, so th- th- let's just oh, well, lobby. I love,
2: I love we voice. could talk for hours. <laughs>
0: I know we could, we could, and 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 everything is 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 of great value. Um, but what I would ask is, say we've got a lot of people here listening to this podcast. Uh, I would imagine aspiring to be picked up by a publishing house, either by someone small like ourselves, or indeed the big ones that that you work for and and, and know of yeah what's your key piece of advice to them is it is it about concentrating on the quality of the work getting those aspects that you talked about earlier dialogue and characterization right Mm. or is it about is it about being patient or is it just simply you know some of you're going to be lucky and some of you aren't well there is
2: an element some people will be lucky and others won't uh but the main thing about getting published can be persistence because if you're not in it, you've got to be in it to win it. And, um, you know, the novel, The Help, um, can't think of the author's name offhand. Um, anyway, that huge bestseller globally, uh, Hollywood film, that was turned down by 200 agents. And wow. yeah, <laughs> reading it, you think, how on earth did this, you know, well, I mean, it's, set, it, it's about a black maid and that's you know, probably 15 years when it was written and was first being shown to people, and that wasn't deemed. You know, I think it's got got quite a complicated relationship between the white and the black characters in it. You know, it wasn't Toni Morrison, say, writing about the black experience. It was Mm. a different type of writing. And uh, sometimes you've just got to hang on in there. But sometimes you've got to think, is my work good enough? And that that the worst of it is for some writers now they are coming off creative writing courses with something they've spent a year or two years on that has been workshopped. And they really want it to be that book. But there can be something about the integrity of that idea that wasn't really strong enough to kind of be resilient enough for the market, and that does show. I think, yeah, for would-be writers, think about characterisation and dialogue, but also think about the voice. Um, Put yourself in the reader's position. Would you actually want to read this book because a lot of people kind of fall at the hurdle that they say everything they want to say, but they haven't actually thought about what am I trying to do here?
0: Yeah. You
2: know, am I trying to, to, take want to hear time it? To inform? Yeah. And the other thing that really can stop things dead in their tracks is it just sounds so simple, but people just don't pay enough attention. Before you submit. First of all, you need your book to be in as good a state as you can get it. Write your 500-word synopsis. Put the ending in. You need two to three cracking par- paragraphs, as you imagine, um, will be on the back of your book as it's blurb. You need a one-line um, descriptive or one sentence description of your book. So imagine you've got Martin Scorsese in front of you in the Sainsbury's queue, and he looks around and says, what's your book about? You've got to have your 10 seconds max of description, what this book is, and and learn that so you actually feel it. Don't rely on an editor or an agent necessarily having the brainstorm no one's ever going to love your book as much as you do now when you get all your documents together label them carefully so title so if the books had several titles make sure it all goes out under one title and your name and what the document is so you know i am a horse you know jenny parrot book you know i am a horse jenny parrot synopsis um and spend you need to think that you will spend probably several months honing your synopsis and your fantastic blurb so i always advise people keep those documents on your screen and go back to them every week have a bit of a tinker don't Be don't deceive yourself that agents don't want to know what the ending is. and Because how agents read, they might get 30 books sent to them in a day and they will read in their own time. So it's not the nine to five when they're trying to do deals or talk about contracts. So they will look at your submission email. So what you have to have in your email is... Dear, look up who, what the agent's name is. I am sending you my suspense novel, whatever the novel is, literary novel, children's middle grade book. Title in there and how long it is, that's really crucial, the length. It might not seem it, but it's like if you say my book's 250,000 words, their thought bubble is, oh my God, can this be broken into a trilogy? Or it's going to have to be brilliant to be 250,000 words. Again, if you, you you say it's 15,000 words, they're already thinking, well, that probably means I can only try independent publishers with a quirky book of that length. You know, it kind of depends. Just put the length in it. It has huge implications for... Um, um, translation sales because an agent's also thinking about subsidiary rights because there's long books obviously a lot more hassle um, to translate and cost more money and um, even if they're grants so you know just get it in there make it 100% clear what you're selling then your blurb your, your, your well, what you'd have your first paragraph you know what the book is then your brilliant line, then your two paragraphs of blurb, your final paragraph is um, a biography of you. So that is what putting where you live, that's really crucial for publicity. You know, if you live in Ireland, that people, publishers always go oh, great, you know, really sportive, booksellers and the trade um you know what job do you do um, have you done any courses have has you know your short story published a couple of years ago did that win a prize you know anything like if you if you've set your book in the music industry and you tempt at radio one put that in you know it's that sort of thing because a, the biography is to help an agent help a publisher see publicity angles so i.e how to bring the book to market and then attach all your carefully named documents if that is what the agent is asking for they may only ask for three paragraphs or 40 pages whatever it is supply exactly what they want but then say i have the full book i've got the you know try and get the synopsis attached if possible so when the agent reads your letter they've got that, you know, um, sort of taster of what you're selling, then they will probably read two to five pages of your book, see if they think you can write. At that point, they then read the synopsis because they Mm. want to know what happens in the book um, and that, you know, whether there's any red flags that will come up or if there's something very similar in the market they might know about. If you make it that far, they then normally put that book in a folder to read the book later. Because if you've got 30 books in, you've just got to sift down. You only want to read three of them in their entirety out of that. So this is why it's so crucial to get your letter as good as it can be, which means an excellent blurb, a selling one line uh, thing a uh, uh, description and um your really tight synopsis so no th- things about what a great story it is no comment at all it's this names what happens when you so make think about it when you've got everything together the question to ask yourself is am i helping somebody say yes and that's that. That's the object of what you're doing. And if you can honestly answer that, um, great. The other thing to do at the same time as thinking of trying to get an agent is to follow on Twitter as many agents, editors and publishers as you can because quite often even people who go on their website who say they are closed and not accepting submissions, you'll suddenly see them say, for 12 hours tomorrow from midnight from midday to midnight, send me your book. Or I noticed someone was doing a competition um, and they're doing a raffle, a charity raffle. And one of the prizes is um, uh, some, I can't remember what it is. Uh, it, well, it's basically you get an hour one-to-one with Ju- Judith, uh, uh, what's she called? Juliet Mushams, who's a brilliant agent. Um you know, she's going to be agent of the year this year, I'm pretty certain. So to be able to go into a raffle on the off chance of winning that time with her, how fantastic. Mm. You know, I don't care if you have to spend two quid or three quid. It's a charity thing they're running. So but you'll only find out about these things by following as many people as you can. So think that as you know, getting published is a business and your business is knowing what's happened. You can sign up free for um, uh, the bookseller and um, uh, well, it's like a daily bulletin from the bookseller and um, from, oh, what's it called? Book Brunch. And what those will do, will let you know when an editor is joining a new house so you know think odd things happen like you know a few years ago Macaulay Culkin went to um uh, the publisher that was kind of like attached to Miramax so if you had a book and you just thought oh he's really gonna like that You know, that's the sort of thing you're looking for. Oh, should I just try a direct approach? And sometimes, you know, editors, when they join new publishers, they'll say, oh, I'm really looking forward to trying to find a book about elephants where where they were written by zebras you know it can be something completely bizarre and you just hey I'm the person I've got that book <laughs> The Elephants, written by zebras and you can be literally right on it there and then these most people are pretty accessible you might need to do a bit of hunting trying to find them but you know if you can find their twitter dm them mm. and um you know just just remember I as I say I'm really stupid I've never got a job in publishing other than having parrot as my last name and (laughs) list called parrots and I just wrote to her and then you know of course she didn't bother to write back and but I was so determined I was going to work with her and then there was um, a picture of her in her kitchen at the time with her parrot sitting on her shoulder and I just sent her a card said you do know you can have your own parrot in the office every day. And she just phone <laughs> up and said, you have warm me down. You know, and so it's just, sometimes you've got to kind of, you can't necessarily always make your own opportunity, but be ready for when opportunity strikes. Yeah,
1: exactly. Take the opportunity when it's there, Absolutely. to be, be aware.
2: Having, you, you know, again, you're in the Sainsbury's queue. You see Juliet Mutton's in front. She hears you talking to your friend about your book and she says send it to me you want to be sending that within half an hour when you get home yeah. because these people are really keen to help but the volume means they uh, of submissions they don't have any memory. so you want to be close to when they say something or otherwise you email and say you know what I just want to tinker with the ending I'll send next week you know just let them know what you're doing Mm. um that that most people are much more helpful than you will think but you've got to sort of deal with them in a way that that kind of makes it that that it's not going to add to their workload Mm. yes that's true that's yeah, very wise. So no, that'd be my advice. No, that was a very long way of saying it, but most people don't realise just the thing of labelling their documents, how important that I know. is. It's
1: know. so simple, isn't it?
0: But uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more.
1: Yeah, because we've had yeah. all sorts. So <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> relate you to ever everything you said. A book. I had someone send me a book and it was draft 42. And <laughs> it's just like, you know what? That's not going to give me a lot of confidence in the author. Uh, you know i'm sure i might have done written some chapters 42 times but uh, you know you don't want to advertise that and i think as well the other thing is always just be yourself if you go in for a meeting with an agent or a publisher and something feels off or it's not not for them don't go ahead. Even if it seems brilliant, it won't work out. And people won't mind. You know, I've had it two or three times um, in the last couple of years. I've had people in and then they, the agents said they love the meeting. They just don't think, you know, you're right for this book. And I tell you what, I'd much rather know that at the start before you've committed than you know, later on when you know there's always going to be a problem that comes up. Yeah. So um, you know, and if you don't trust your feel immediately that you could trust your agent, don't go ahead. You know, some people will find that they've written a the sort of book that they get eight agents fighting over. I'd say go for the it's like choosing a husband or you know <laughs> partner. Go for the one you can still imagine you your heart wouldn't sink when you see their name on the phone in 10 years time
0: <laughs>
2: you know because that's a particularly you know agents it may be you know that you're together for 30 years so um you know it's really really crucial you trust your agent and you feel they're going to work hard that's why name agents aren't always the best for new writers they they do have clout in that they can get people's books read by name editors, but some name agents has a lot of ego there, and so you don't what you want them working for you and trying to make you look good. You don't want to be the one who's trying to make them look good. If you
1: mm, kind of see one. I know what you mean
2: yeah so but we know you know instinctively when we meet people we all have a zoom with them we do know this it's just that (laughs) you know you think oh god if I don't go and it's it's you know whoever mister I don't know whoever um you know I I, everyone's gonna hate me if I turn him down they're not everyone will get over it
0: Yes. Yeah, I just I'll remember, move on quite quickly, yeah. actually.
2: <laughs> yeah. I just remember the other thing always makes me laugh was Christopher Little only signed J.K. Rowling. Um, I don't know why I had her into the office, because he told her that he wasn't going to sign her and didn't do kids' books. And then apparently, the, after J.K. Rowling had left uh, the office, um, at the receptionist, who in something like eight years never had an opinion about anybody, <laughs> um, looked at Christopher and said, I really like that woman. And he was so taken aback that this woman, who hadn't ever said anything about any of the authors, had commented on J.K. Rowling that he signed her on the basis of that. And, you know, I'm mean, Paul Christopher's dead now, but uh, well, I think he is. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, he will have made probably, I don't know, 200 million or more in commission mm. on the harry potter books so it's that's how arbitrary <laughs> it is um but be yourself you know there there are loads and loads of agents loads of publishers and i always think it doesn't pay long term to try and be the square peg in the round hole and if you meet someone and they're an editor who's very quiet and very reticent and you know that that's the sort of person that you know you don't particularly respond to very well you know it that the hold out for the right person there's always another opportunity that can come along or you know and it is painful if you can't find um a deal for a specific book but sometimes you need to write the next book and that's the one that you get the deal on Mm. and then it doesn't mean the first book's gone away i've seen that where someone's got taken on by book down their career and then earlier books have been bought so um you know, it's but but that and that doesn't mean it goes against persistence is key, and um, that sometimes you've just got to think, Perhaps if I, if you have thirty letters saying I quite like the book, but then I fell out of love with it. That that says there's something wrong with that book in the second half. Yeah, mm. and um, you know, it's at that point you have the choice: either rewrite. Or move on to something else. So,
0: Jenny, it's been fantastic. There's so much
2: we could go on. We, we could, we could. So oh, much right.
0: We've learned. And well, no, it's
1: sure. well, lovely to a on a yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: look, lovely to have a chat, and I'm really glad you're enjoying uh, your own publishing. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of those businesses that there's never two days the same. Oh
1: no, uh, never.
2: <laughs> Uh, and it surprises us all, you know, all the time. You never, you know, and this is what drives everyone, agents, editors, you know, books in manuscript all at the same. And yet, what is it about some books that make them into world beaters and others just, you know, absolutely nothing happens. And I think that's because we are all instinctively gamblers, Mm. and we're looking for that thing uh, you know that, that is just going to ignite our passion um so you know but that's why, why for new writers they're always going to be needed so you know there's it, a big beast that needs feeding absolutely yeah. as long as people keep reading they'll keep writing and people will keep reading, and the and in part because um, the creative industries, um, you know, Hollywood, the TV companies all need content and ideas. And in fact, now more so than ever. So, you know, it's very symbiotic, and that is why you know we we have to have an imaginative outlet and writers is kind of where it starts in many cases
0: such wise words from jenny Parrott. thank you to her for joining us again for a second stab this week um always great and uh she's part of the the hobeck wider family as one of our editors indeed, so, she is. indeed she is well look this week uh it's been you know another another week for uh you know minor health issues and all those sort of things to sort out (laughs) i I went to the dentist expecting to have one thing done and something else happened instead what your
1: foot were treated
0: (laughs) no it wasn't quite as dramatic as that you
1: you sat upside down in the chair and they cut your toenails no
0: i was sitting in the chair expecting to have a a rather nasty root pulled out um which was gonna be pretty grisly Uh, and they decided that the hospital has to do it because it's too difficult so uh I had some fillings done which were desperately needed and as anyone knows if you've got a tooth problem during a pandemic it's very hard to get to see anybody but uh, my dentists have been brilliant now that they're taking it seriously Um, but there's more to come on that story and as many of you know listening to the podcast I had terrible terrible pain um, for a few weeks uh, a few weeks ago as it turns out it was uh, quite a quite a monumental cyst in my gums uh, my jaw so uh, that still has to be sort of finely finished if you like because mm, uh, you
1: don't want it to come back again no exactly
0: and occasionally uh, you get a little flare up but um that you know that's probably too much information isn't it already people <laughs> wincing away <laughs> um so that was that was um a sort, sort of interruption and um of the week and uh, next week's looking a little clearer on that front
1: uh, well not really for me I've got one trip to the dentist uh, not me though but number one child So
0: <laughs> oh yeah joy
1: and we have quite a few meetings as well next week But um, we
0: do we do and um, the week after I'm having a little mini break from you
1: and we're publishing a book you're having a mini break from me
0: <laughs> and Jobeck <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking my two boys for a little golfing holiday in Northumbria so I'm really looking forward to that um, you know haven't had a chance to take them away for, for two years basically with pandemics and whatnot, so uh, this is this is very very exciting. So uh, yeah, that will be an interesting week. I'll, I'll, I'll send a uh, an epigram from. Um,
1: That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll do an audio audio epigram.
0: Yeah, um, from the uh, from the course at Slaley Hall, <laughs> and for those who you know the golf thing, it's a tour venue, so it's a really it's a special place. Looking forward to that immensely. You've, um, as you said earlier. Use the time when we were offline and, and whatever to really crack on with some some proofreading. Yes, this week uh, it's
1: and and, I, and it's been it's been great for that because I don't like proofreading in chunks, little chunks, because you need to really really get your teeth into a book to get the feel of it and get the flow. And um, one thing that occurred to me while I was proofreading this particular book, um, Fatal Trade, was that. Um, the value of editing really shouldn't be underestimated. So we read Fatal Trade when it was submitted and we thought it was a brilliant book. But since then, it's been through the process. It's been to um, one of our uh, very competent editors, Sue Davison. She's absolutely fantastic. She's edited so many books for us, including Robert Dawes and um, uh, R.D. Nixon's uh, Crossfire, which she's publishing in a week and a half's time. And now she's she's edited Fatal Trade as well. And so reading it again, or proofreading it, so when you're proofreading, you're checking for typographical errors. You're also just making sort of a last check for sense and for grammar. And I found very little, I have to say. I found some typographical errors, Um, but I could see how much tighter and cleaner and how it flowed so much better through going through the process of copy editing, even though we thought it was great the first time.
0: Yeah, well, that's really valuable to see the, you know, the before and after, I suppose. Mm. Uh, The the poly, it's sometimes when you're so close to it, you don't see that. But um, yeah, it's terrific. I read a submission this week, um, which blew my socks off, really. I I loved it. you know really really tremendous book um of urban noir i think is you know sort of modern setting around a, a housing estate in north london and um the 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 sort of parallel lives of the investigating officer and two young people caught up uh, getting sucked into gang violence it's so good so good so more on that when we, uh, yeah. we finalise things. Because we're
1: actually talking to the author tomorrow, aren't we? We are. So. We are.
0: Look, I, it was just it was just gripping, brilliant piece of work and um, felt really privileged to read it, let alone publish it, which may well happen. So let's see. Um, but, you know, it, we are still closed for submissions for those who are. I keep asking. I'm, you know, we just... We are, we are settled where we are at the
1: moment. Yeah, this is still, the, the, I think this is the last of the backlogs that we had from yeah. when we were open for submissions, so
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah, and I'm sort of working through those. And what's been interesting for me is that I started taking a, a totally organic supplement f- to help brain function, and boy, does it work.
1: Yes, it does. He's been very productive this week.
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually been in a position, let me just explain. I mean, you know, as I've got this uh, recent... Um, uh, diagnosis of having attention deficit disorder. And basically my brain is flopping around all over the place um, and very, very hard to sort of corral into any sort of organized focus. And uh, I started taking this thing, you know, on spec really, got it from Holland and Barrett, nothing too special. And I've actually been in a position where I can actually command my brain to stop thinking about other things and get on with the job in front of me. made a big difference. Um, to my efficiency. We managed to finish the edit of Sleeping Dogs, the audiobook, which I've sent off to Find Away Voices, and it's going to be out in uh, early July, uh, which is great. But, you know, it takes a lot of focus to get those things finished, and, you know, there you go. So things are on the up on that front.
1: And, and I have a couple of uh, similar tasks for you in a couple of weeks' time. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. Um, so that's that's been a, a, a benefit. And, a, and It just means that, you know, I feel much more in control of what I'm up to. Um, and that's, that's fantastic. So compartmentalizing my life and getting certain things done, you know, actually getting to the end of something before I move on to the next thing, which, you know, to many, many people out there will just sound like, well, that's life, isn't it? And that's what you do. But trust me, in recent years I have really struggled with that, and uh, it's great to have some measure of control back. Oh well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, we're, we're rapidly coming to the end of yet another wonderful edition, number twenty-four yes. of the Hopcast Book Show, and uh, sponsored
1: by Thor. Thor, Lightning.
0: Oh, I see. Yes, <laughs> thanks for that. Was it Odin who did the Lightning?
1: I thought it was Thor.
0: Oh, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, uh no, Zeus did the lightning, didn't he? In the Greek Oh goodness, we've gone down a rabbit hole <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Anyway, uh what well, it remains for us to say. Thank you so much for listening to the hobcast Book Show. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to know more about the company, Hoback Books, go to Net. meet our authors there, see our titles, get our latest news and some of our exclusives. And don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list where you can get Crime Bites, our collection and anthology of our writers' best work. Well, actually, tasters for, tasters, their, future, yeah. for, for their future series. Uh, so a great opportunity to, to meet our authors with a freebie. And also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it from. Uh, It really means a lot to us. The more we we build, the the, the better it gets. And don't forget, we're also going to Harrogate shortly. Where there'll be four, we hope, episodes for each day of the festival. And uh, that should be... uh, We're really looking forward to that. Oh,
1: I can't wait. I really can't wait.
0: Absolutely. Give uh, a mug to Richard Osman.
1: I I can't wait. Can I kiss him on the cheek too? Or is that not allowed?
0: You need a stepladder. He's the world's tallest man.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'll take a step ladder then. <laughs> oh, about, a pile of
0: books. He's about seven foot.
1: I could stand on a pile of our books.
0: Yeah, use the crate of crime to get, <laughs> get closer to him and you'll be able to kiss him on the navel. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that bombshell, it's time for me, Adrian Hobart.
1: And me, Rebecca Collins.
0: To wish you a happy and creative week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobec Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit.